Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out, a show in which I, author and musician Gary Abbott, attempt to finally decide my favourite Beatles recordings by scoring each and every one for lyrical content, musicality and production, assisted by my brother and resident Beatles expert Paul Abbott. Each episode we explore and score five songs pulled at random from the Beatles' full recording catalogue. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode 37, and welcome to I Never Heard It of Paul Abbott. Ah, very good. I like it. That's very sweet. Yes. Uh, how are you, Paul? I'm very well, thank you very much. I've had a, a good week of releasing a new episode of my Head Ballet podcast. Ah, yes. Do you want to tell us about that before I tell us about other things? Yes, I will, because it's it's been much on my mind, because it's been a year since I launched... Or it, on last um thursday mm. as this episode is going out was a year since i started the head ballet podcast my novelty song podcast Congratulations. thank you thank you mary thank you and to celebrate it i was reveling in one of my absolute favorite things of all time which is the bonzo dog doodah band mm-hmm. i had a guest on laura grimshaw who's a bbc radio producer who produced some excellent documentaries about neil innes and the bonzo dog band and viv stanchel and we discuss the equestrian statue, a Bonzo single, and basically just reflect on the life of Neil Innes, who was an absolute hero of mine. Mm-hmm. Well, is a hero of mine, even if he is no longer with us. And so I was really pleased that that episode's there. And I'm sure lots of people who like the Beatles also love the Bonzos and Neil and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So look up Head Ballet Pod wherever you get your podcasts and you'll uh, be able to listen to it. Yes, do. I've listened to it. It's a very good episode. Um, Thank you. As always, learnt a little, laughed a little. Loved a little. Oh, no, it was very nice. Loved a lot. It was great. What you get up to while you're listening to podcasts is your own business. <laughs> yeah, it was very good. And also, we appeared on the radio this week. We were on. Um, that was odd. Yes, we were on live real radio. You know, um, at Radio Stoke um, with Perry Spiller on a section he cut he has that's called Sounds Good, where he likes to talk about a podcast or or something similar. And uh, we had a good chat with him. A good ten minute chat. So. You can find that still on Radio Stoke. Well, at the time of this going out, you, it may still be available for a limited time. And I put the link up on Twitter. But um, yeah. But anyway, it was nice. It was good. It was. It was a strange way to <laughs> something to suddenly be doing of, a, of an evening to be yeah. talking live on the radio about this little show. It was. And if you heard us on that and that's why you're listening to us now. Well, thank you. That's really good. Um, Cheers, I'm, Doc. I'm glad you've looked us up um, and we hope you stay with us. Okay, don't forget, you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com and please do drop us a review on whatever platform you're listening on if you can and like and share our posts. Um, This week I think I'm just going to ask you to look at my books which are linked um, in the podcast description, my Amazon author page, I've put the link up for that. Um, I've written and had published or published three books um, so far in my life, all speculative and or science fiction and all very cheap to buy digitally or reasonable, I'd say, to have printed if you like proper paper. So why not just buy them all? OK, yes, do. I've got them all on my bookshelf in real, actual physical format and they look very nice alongside all my other science fiction books. Oh, good. Thank you very much. So that's enough plug in and admin. So let's mm-hmm. get on with On This Beatles Day, which should be the 14th of June. It is the 14th of June, yes. So I'm going back to 1964 here. 14th of June 1964 is the day that Ringo rejoins the others in Australia 
after he's been left behind because he's in hospital. Right. He's had the tonsillitis and pharyngitis just before they're about to go off on this world tour. And obviously they have to quickly draft in Jimmy Nickel mm. to go out and do all this stuff. And so 14th of June is the day that Ringo is finally sort of discharged and he's flown across the world, um, London to San Francisco to Sydney, which is a flipping long flight. And yeah, he's going with Brian. And then he gets to Sydney Airport after this journey and, the, and Ringo and Brian do a press conference together. Right. Which I couldn't find the video of. It doesn't seem to be on YouTube. If anyone does have a copy of it uh, or knows where it is on YouTube or whatever, let me know because I'd like to see it. I've read the transcript of it. It's, you know, it's all the, the usual stuff that Ringo gets. You'd expect him to be asked in the scenario that he's in. Mm. But they ask Brian some questions as well, which is nice because there's just not enough Brian stuff out no. there. And But again, it's not exactly deep questioning of any sort it's basically how you know some stuff about money some stuff about the future what's the plans type thing but it, yeah i'd like to like to see brian being um quizzed by the reporters and then uh, yeah so essentially three thousand fans are there at the the hotel where this this is ringo's going to stay and do all this stuff mm. and it was so packed outside the hotel that the police inspector whose name was mike patterson tried to carry Ringo on his shoulders through this crowd, but he tripped over as he was doing it. Oh, gosh. So the first thing that happens to Ringo when he gets there is he's flung bodily to the floor by an Australian policeman. Right. Uh, But then they, you know, they all get reunited eventually uh, in Melbourne. They fly down to Melbourne. And uh, then there's that press conference, the Five Beatle press conference. Right. Where... You know, Jimmy if Jimmy Nichols ever going to feel like a spare part, it's in yeah. a press conference where Ringo's back and the Beatle banter is back on full full form. Mm. You know, because it's 1964 and it's proper Beatlemania banter mm. at the time. I don't like using the word banter, but it seems, you know, the way they talk to each other, they're in jokes. Yeah. And the way that they ping off the press and use each other as for, for laughs as much as they use it, you know, try to get other people to laugh. Which obviously Ringo was a big part of, yeah. And so poor Jimmy Nickel <laughs> sat there as, as a as a Beatle no more, but still having to be interviewed in, with the Beatles, uh, yeah. And it's nice because it's one of those classic early Beatlemania interviews, very funny, very silly, very in jokey. Yeah. Not like two years later when they really don't want to be talking to the press everywhere they go. Mm. So just an interesting time. Ringo gets back with the band and off they go. Good old Ringo. And, good and, old Ringo, and good old, indeed. Good old Jimmy for having, well, I mean, yeah, stra- certainly, what a strange little role he played in the story of the Beatles. But everyone, you know, with a, a bit of Beatles knowledge will know his name. Yes. But it's, only uh, for that, yeah, I would have thought. Yes. Strange and interesting story, uh, Jimmy Nichols, but uh, outside time. the scope of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Paul. So let's get on with the first of the random picks, which is Norwegian Wood. Brackets. This bird has flown. Norwegian Wood, Paul. 
Uh, I can't think of anything silly to say there. I could have just said something daft about flipping, I don't know, Finnish wooden soup. I don't know. Okay. I couldn't think of anything quick enough then. <laughs> um, Norwegian wood, Finnish might. I don't know. See, it's laboured. Let me stop talking. Right. Norwegian wood, this bird has flown, which is the... It's odd to have a, a bracketed yeah. bit in the title, because this was an original title for it when it was first being put together, mm-hmm. until they settled on Norwegian wood as the key title, which is the right title for it. What not? What is Norwegian wood? Yeah, rather as being the lead t- bit of the title, because this bird has flown is a, a sort of jokey one-line thing, and it was Norwegian wood's sort of yeah. intriguing and sort of a bit more captivating as a notion, isn't it? Yes. But it's on Rubber Soul, which comes out on the 3rd of December 1965. It's recorded on the 12th of October, but they remake it on the 21st of October because they couldn't quite get it right. They were trying different versions. And the, one of the main reasons they couldn't quite work it out is because they tried to fit a sitar on it yes. for the first time. So that's its key musical feature is that it's a sitar. It's, it's the first significant pop record to use a, a, a sitar. There's other stuff going on that uses certain sitari sort of sounds around this time, but this is really the sort of most significant early pop with sitar. And it's their com- record. their first ever use of it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's um, it's folk music. Mm. It's kind of a comedy song. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a confessional. Mm-hmm. And it's got you know, sit- Rubber Soul's yeah. a very folky album, isn't it? So it is. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Well, I hadn't really twigged. And I've known this song a very long time because as we were growing up, there was a few Beatles things in the house. There was a couple of cassettes that our parents had, 1970s sort of cassettes. And there was three things on vinyl, one of which was Rubber Soul. Yeah. So it was a very early album I got to know really, really well, which obviously Norwegian Wood is one of the songs on that. Mm. It's a fun one to play on guitar. So you become quite, it's quite easy to become familiar with that when you're learning guitar. It's only two minutes long, this song. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's it's a short song. It's it's proper slice of life stuff as well. It's fascinating. So many of these, so many of the songs are. You, you have this kind of epic in your head because it tells such a big story, you know, or, or it feels like it does, and then you you're sort of extrapolating, yeah, aren't you? And you look at the kind of when I load up the tracks and kind of streaming, you know, because it's the easiest way to do it when I'm doing notes, and you think that can't be right. Why is it only, you know, one minute forty eight sometimes, or you know what. Under two minutes is quite common, isn't it, for tracks that you really don't expect it? And this is, I guess, yeah. another one of those. Um, yeah, so on to the music. We open with that timeless riff, like you were saying, the uh, mainstay of many a guitar player, um, played as part of the beautiful strummed guitar intro. I mean, beautiful sounding as well as the actual riff. Although it's quite forceful as well, you know, it's quite close up to the mic, quite yeah, brittle. I think but I, it's, the sound it's great. It, it's really nice. And it's the same riff that, that binds the whole song together, you know, isn't it? Because it is it is very English folky in the sense that there is a central melodic theme that comes through, goes throughout it and it it gets passed between the different instruments. So the guitar plays it, the sitar plays it, it's the melody. Mm-hmm. Um, even the bass at some point kind of will kind of start to go up those kind of runs towards that and then just to kind of highlight it a bit. Yeah, so we get we get everyone sharing this classic kind of riff, and everything is it's it's, it's three four waltz time, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's all in three four, and so the sitar gives a kind of because it's folk music, but it's got a sitar. It kind of plays the part of maybe a mandolin or a banjo in a way. D- yeah, I think because George is still figuring out how to play the sitar or how the sitar is more used in a traditional sense, 
here he's playing it like a like a, a fretted string instrument that he's familiar with. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it actually it doesn't do the job of a sitar particularly, but no. a chiming stringed instrument. Yeah, like mandolin would be a good example. Yeah, but it's great because of its 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 tone. But it adds something yeah, else it, it, because it, it's a sitar. It's being played. It's playing the part like you know, if you were to transcribe the part, but it's bringing something else to it. But it fits, it weirdly puts it into the folk world as if like sitars and folk should always have lived together. You know, it really, really feels natural for it to be there. But alongside those two guitars, it makes a kind of luxurious blanket of trebly picking and strumming that carry you into the kind of perfect vocal. Um, you know, with just that little added kind of one finger in the ear doubling harmony, you know, folky type. There's only two two voices in this, isn't there? There's John and Paul. Yeah, yeah. And that's very folky as well. You know, you can imagine that. Um, also, what are those little um, triangular jobbies that people play in folk music? Um, triangular jobbies? Uh, they kind of sit on the lap of wooden, uh, I want to say an auto harp. Well, you, of, I think you would be right in saying an auto harp. Yeah, got that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so, I mean, well. it might be worth mentioning that our parents are both folkies. Yes. Or have been in the past, despite their love of other types of music as well. But uh, both my our, our mum and our dad ran a folk club. Mm when we were very little and well, no, so we've grown up with a lot of folk music around yeah. us uh, the auto harp is an instrument that you come across sometimes in these settings as well which if anyone doesn't know what it is it's a sort of you strum it with uh, the plectrum and you've got sort of bars across yeah I, have we talked about auto, hopes, auto harps before i don't think no we have, we've talked we? about something of a another weird instrument from... but it's got courses of strings so you get a lot of ringing sound yeah. and you use these sort of bars to push down different chords and things like that and there's lots of different variants on it but yeah, yeah. and that's not so in yeah, this but it, i can imagine no it, it being... again you're absolutely right yeah mandolins auto harps they're all you know the equivalents of what's going on in this song yeah that and a couple of guys would say one of them with his finger in his ear singing the melody. In fact, Norwegian Wood is the one that made it into a lot of kind of traditional trad folk set lists, I think, didn't it? Um, kind of, you know, like you're saying with the, um, didn't Dad's band play it because it, or was it one of the ones written down in his book of one of the, I think it was I the kind know, of thing that would know. get played by folk bands yeah, that wouldn't necessarily it's... play a lot of Beatles stuff because it wasn't, you know, I think this is one that crossed that, that boundary, really does um, hit home with the folkies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bass is subtle, but makes itself known uh, now and again. Like I said, sometimes there's a little bit of the run up the kind of melody a bit. Uh, and then we have Ringo, absent for half the song, and then just comes in with like a heartbeat bass drum and tambourine yeah. hit kind of thing. There's some thigh slaps in there as well, someone's some doing. <laughs> I missed the thigh slaps. Quite subtle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's like a da-dum, da-dum, da-dum type of, bass drum isn't it yeah it's in all the little b sections yeah. you know the sort of minor sections but it all comes together to make something uh, that more than just captures the essence of the best of folk music it kind of progresses it and enhances it it's not just a we're doing folk like all of rubber soul it's kind of like we're doing folk really well <laughs> you know we're we're taking the tradition and we're we're working with it you know we're not just aping it it's a beauty i'm gonna give it 86.5 for music oh excellent stuff that's uh, yeah i love it uh, production then, so that that reverb on that guitar, and so you're saying it's quite close up mic. It's close mic, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really feel like I'm in the room with that guitar, the way it's been recorded. Like really, like this, I feel the space, the distance. Um, although you're saying it's close mic, it makes me feel. Yeah, well, the, the, then they add the reverb yes, to, yeah. to put the room in that they've taken out by the closeness of the microphone, and you've got John playing really hard right. as well. 
So he's, you know, if you listen to it, he's, he's not being, a, he's not doing it delicately. He's not doing any finger picking. He's, he's plectruming the hell out of it. It just sounds great, though. It sounds really good. I really like how they've recorded the guitar. And that, that's the kind of guitar sound that you dream of being able to get when you point a microphone at a guitar and hope that it comes out nicely. You know, there's all sorts of things you can do, as you know, to kind of capture guitar, guitar. But they just, with the technology they were using at the time, they're just getting them. So, and when you when you add the layers with all the other acoustic instruments, you know, um, it just starts to really make a lovely tapestry of of of, of tones and frequencies. Yeah, and also they were having to learn how to mic the sitar, I guess. Essentially, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have been something that had come into Abbey Road very often. I wouldn't have thought. I'm sure they weren't totally unfamiliar with it, but it was. I have a feeling, in the context in which the Beatles were working, it would have been a challenge for the engineers to sort of figure it out mm. because it's a complicated instrument. There's so much of it making sound in different ways. Yeah, and also, is George playing it correctly in a way that that's not got too much like fret, but well, you know, fingerboard buzz on it and things like that. They've mm. got to constantly do all that stuff as well and get it to sit inside the context of the song. So yeah. that would have been a, a f- an interesting day at work for someone. Absolutely, absolutely. And the the drums are nice and very kind of subtle, just what's needed. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll say that, but on the the very first B section, so mm. the D minor section, that's the minor section, yeah. the first time it happens, the bass drum on that is really, really punchy. Mm. And I only really noticed it listening to it closely for this this uh, episode mm. in the second time round that the bass drum comes in it's much sort of it's a s- sort of softer fuller sort of sound rounder sort of sound mm. whereas in the first one it's more like a modern kick drum it's strange when you actually notice it oh, okay, it's yeah. it's odd yeah. uh, so it's worth listening to the compare the different sound of the bass drum in that first b section to how it comes in later yeah it's it's worth a little uh, comparison i think i'm very familiar with the song so it actually shocked me to go yeah. and listen and do that close listen, because I've known it for so long, I think I perhaps took it for granted a little bit. Well, that's it. it, it this is the beauty of the um, the exercise. You know, I keep been thinking, there can't be much left, because, you know, we're, we're, we're nearing the, the latter part of this now, and uh, it's like, a, it, it's... It, yeah, there's still songs like this come up and go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think the way the guitars, the sitar, the bass, the percussion and vocals are balanced in this one, it sounds like the way you'd... He records his string quartets, you know, it's like it's just really composed, spaced, balanced, roomy recording that sounds really lovely. I'm going to give it 84 for production. Oh, it's doing well. It is, bless it. Um, so lyrics. So uh, let's, we've already dealt with the kind of a, this bird has flown kind of brackets bit. Yeah, we, so that was it, sort of the title it was being recorded under to start off with before they settled on calling it Norwegian Wood. Yeah. So... Which you said it kind of, of course, encapsulates this whole little story of a one-night stand, basically. Which, yeah, the little jokey bit of the bird has flown kind of detracts a bit from the imagery when you realise you could just take it as meaning kind of bird in the sense of, you know, birds. In that kind of birds type of sense. Yeah, well, it's a nice, it's a play on words, but it's a play on words that includes the rather demeaning description of women as birds. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) But, but let's... You said about it being a confessional, so I, you know, 
fire away. What's he, is this meant to be him admitting to something naughty he did when he was away? Well, yeah, basically. So this is written, he's on holiday uh, with Cynthia, George Martin and, and George's wife, Judy, hmm. in San Maritz, February 1965. And that's where he writes this song. So he's on holiday with his wife and, you know, hmm. uh, Big George and co. But it's basically about him having an affair. So he's right. writing about he's trying to write a song about having an affair without making it too obvious he's writing about having an affair. Right. So he'll have been saying to Sin, "Oh yeah, it's just a good story, isn't it?" Um, yeah, yeah. No one, no one knows exactly who he was. The person in question is. Mm. There was rumours of him having an affair with a journalist. Uh, it's possibly having an affair with Sonny Freeman, who was the wife of the photographer Robert Freeman, who took a load of their album cover photos. Okay. So possibly, you know, there's no. Yeah. definite John confession late in later years for that, except that I was having an affair. Um, then, so he writes a lot of it, but um, McCartney then sort of added lines to it, worked on it with him. McCartney reckons it's sort of 60-40 Lennon to him. Mm-hmm. But he, it was McCartney who suggested the lines at the end about making it sound like he burns the flat down. Yeah, yeah. Which because is, the So I Lit a Fire thing, when I was a kid, it was just like, oh, I lit yeah, a fire, put well, the fire on. still is for but me. Not like this <laughs> this apartment where I'm having an affair and have a sort of... Because it's also, is it a little bit about sexual frustration as in, I've gone, you know, I've gone and slept in the bath because, frankly, I couldn't get it up, essentially. Yeah. It's, it's sort of in there okay. a little bit, as sort of implied. And so, do you know what? This apartment's decked out in this cheap, nasty pine, this, this Norwegian yeah. wood on the walls so burn it down which is weird yeah i was thinking about that in the kind of what you are told of the story there's no actual it's not explicitly made clear that that he actually that there is actually any liaison should we say between the two of them yeah. unless that's in, uh, it's inferred that, that that happened already and then they stay around carry on drinking and he goes to sleep in the bath for some reason but yeah, there's no actual. It never actually says that happened. It's, it, it, if anything, it's a failed attempt at an affair. Yeah, well, that's it. The slinking off to get into the bath yeah. is like, oh, you know, I got so close, yeah. and for some reason, whatever it be, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping alone. And brewers, brewers droop probably. Yeah, drinking the wine. You haven't got much. But the good thing is about it, it conjures up a lovely little story. Um, I say lovely. I don't mean lovely in that. <laughs> you know, it conjures up a a compelling a vignette little story. of life. Yeah. yeah. And um, that idea that it's it's a very visual song to me. And even though, like you just said about being a flat and things, um, I I always have this this vision of a kind of almost log cabiny thing. Um, I think that's a fair response to it, given its suggestion of Norway and yeah, and, and then the kind of fire. And I feel like I have a kind of open fire and them lying around on the floor, barefoot kind of drinking wine but the, the only thing that is always a bit weird is the going to sleep in the bath because i always think why would you sleep in the bath why don't you sleep in the sofa yeah well I, I think my view of it is sort of informed by watching too many episodes of the avengers right which is full of like 1960s flats and furnishings and mm. things like that and oh, apartments yeah. yeah it's um yeah and then the thing about the whole waking up to find a god and deciding to then well just burn the house down then i always found that that interpretation of it although that was a, an interpretation it may even have been their interpretation i don't I what mccartney don't. said it was yeah i just don't i just choose not to to listen to that bit in that way it's not that not to listen to it but not to think of well, it well it's a, as is your right you're the person yeah, listening I'm, Once, I'm the one consuming it mccartney's not stood over you going no i meant that no exactly because it just 
it's weird then. It just goes a bit dark and weird at the very last line. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, I like it just to think, oh, she's gone. Mm. I'll just put a nice fire on before I go home then. Make myself some bacon, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> whatever. But it's very evocative. So I'm going to give it 79 for lyrics. Just before we move on, mm-hmm. though, there's a, a apparently there's another story about why it's called Norwegian Wood. Oh, yeah. So obviously McCartney said it was like, well, apartments at the time were starting to get decked out in wood panelling, yeah. you know, this cheap, nasty pine stuff. Um, and as anyone who's grown up in a house built in the 60s or 70s will probably have experienced it. Mm. But there's a story from Lindy Ness, who was a sort of friend of the band from the Cavern days, who says that in 1962, mm. she, I think she'd been on holiday to Norway and she'd brought John a present back, which was a little troll, because obviously trolls are Norwegian thingy. Yeah. You know, they're yes, yes, buy a lot of yeah, tat, yeah. troll tat. But it's like a little wooden troll, but it's sat on a toilet with his trousers around his ankles. And apparently John said, oh, what's this, Norwegian wood? Right. And then three years later, this song has this title, but, you know... It could be. It's it's probably a mix of things as usual. Okay, very good. So, did I say eighty three point two overall? I can't remember. Let's just say it again, just in case. Seventy nine for lyrics and eighty three point two overall. Next, with a little help from my friends. What do I do when my love is away? With a little help from my friends, Paul. Am I not enough? Have I, am I, have I let you down in some way? They're all here. Oh, no. No, they're not. <laughs> all our friends are our listeners. And we will be coming to stay in all of your houses. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Right, obviously, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band LP, which comes out on officially the 1st of June 67, but actually the 26th of May. Mm-hmm. This is recorded on the 29th and 30th of March of that year it's Ringo's big number on the big album Mm -hmm. it's the second song on the album which is absolute prime real estate Mm. for this record it's a song that's been covered famously by many people which of which I have feelings about (laughs) it's a proper Paul and John writing something for Ringo exercise but not a sort of dismissive one they they worked you know they worked to do this they weren't just especially given where it's ended up on the album. This is not a... Yeah, not just give something happy, it. it's, it's got some really interesting elements to it, but it's also... It's both complicated and simple at the same time, mm. which is a <laughs> an interesting thing, really. Absolutely, it is. And I think that, that point about it not only being the second track on, you know, possibly the biggest album of all time, but the first track of Sgt. Peppers is, is in essence an introduction. So... It's almost the first track, you know, that's, yes, it, it's yeah. kind of like, it's Arden Pepper's obviously the first track, but it's it's saying, and here's the album, and this is the song, and then you get, that's it, yeah, you get your first... Literally, that first bit literally introduces this. Yeah, you, when you know that Sergeant Pepper, the, the song and the, the reprise were kind of put together to bookend the album, you do think, yeah, this was really, yeah, kind of almost the first, the first kind of non-thematic song on the album, even though it's, you've got the Billy Shears intro. Um, you can take it out of Sergeant Peppers and it's just a song. And coming back to this one, it's like a lovely hug from Ringo, I imagine. 
I imagine oh. Ringo gives lovely hugs. I imagine Ringo giving you a hug. Yeah, um, I think his beard would tickle. Um, anyway, I love this song, and it has some great features. Um, yeah, like you say, in some ways, it's so simple. The guitars and the piano are playing on a swung beat throughout, but like on the beat, but, you know, swung. Um, but this can allow us the bass, especially the bass, and additional guitars to um, parts to play around the beat. I love the bass in this well, do you, I was going to ask you, do you remember, because we played this when we were yeah. in the Beatles cover band at school, we played this mm. and our our band colleague, Andy Cope, sang it, didn't he? Yes, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember what it was like learning and playing this bass live? Because it's yeah. so, it's so... I know it's all up on so, the kind of ninth and eleventh frets yeah. around, just under the octave mark, kind of, um, it is, but yeah, it's... I, 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 very lyrical bass part it is and it's this is one of the things that really drew me to the bass this kind of bass playing Paul McCartney's Paul McCartney kind of like has a default mode of, of early stuff often of just kind of going between the first and the fifth you know ding dong ding dong but then when he doesn't do that and he does other things it's just amazing it's phenomenal it's progressive it's brilliant and this is one especially where all, all this little high register rundowns and fills and the rounded lovely sound that you get on that Rickenbacker, which is the only problem I had playing it live, is that I didn't have a Rickenbacker with a muff. Well, I, I had access to one, I think, at one point. Not when we were doing Not this. Not when we were doing didn't. this, no. I had a, no, a violin bass copy, and you could yeah. get a similar sound by sticking a duster under the strings to get that real da-dung-dung-dung, that kind of sound that just clips short and doesn't ring off. And I don't know if I used to do that. I definitely used to play around doing that in the studio. I don't know. If Not I, on stage. No. But, yeah, it's such. I love the bass in this. And also, like the, the the little guitar riffs, they, they're not they don't happen very often, but they're they're really nice, and they get to be really nice because everything else is just going dunk 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 dunk. It's just on the beat, isn't it? You know, it's very like you say, simple, yes. with interesting um, augmentations around it. Yeah, and then we have the famous call and answer vocals asking Ringo questions, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty unique in the world of the way songs are structured. You get, maybe you get things like, is, you know, I'm thinking maybe Shoop song or something like that. It's, I'm trying to think of other examples where... Yeah, there's a few, but it's not super common. No, and um, this is a famous example of it, isn't it, as well? Um, yeah. I know Backen often leads or copies the main vocal, but straight out asking the singer questions in the middle of the song, it's almost rude, Paul. <laughs> well, um, yes. But anyway, Ringo delivers his lead perfectly. The song is absolutely right for his kind of tone isn't it the, the, the yeah they did absolutely the right thing of writing a song in a key you could handle but also giving him a challenge yeah at the end note yeah yeah um and also cleverly mixing their voices with his so it really is he's not just out there on his own the guy who doesn't normally sing having to sing it all he is backed up he's getting a little help from his he's friends get, he's literally getting a little help from his friends he, oh it all comes together yeah, and you, sense con- now. you contrast his kind of laid back, kind of more baritone tone with the swirly three-part harmony backing of, of the other guys who have got you know, more tenor, aren't they? And it comes together very nicely. Um, and of course, Ringo nails the drums all, as well with his signature swing and some great tom work. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a kind of classic rock kind of three-chord standard in places. You know, the um, the, the chorus... You'll hear those that particular string of chords in lots of 
but hits. yeah, the chorus is sort of a bit like that, but the rest of it's quite complex chord wise. Yeah. yeah, I suppose it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's um but it it's it's fine because it's because it's a very hooky, memorable chorus as well. And why another song that I think, like so many of Ringo's actually, when you think about the ones that Ringo did, that probably most people know mm-hmm. this song, don't you? You think not Beatles and non Beatles fans alike. Um, so I'm going to give it 80 for music. Lovely. Indeed. Production then. So first thing, we mustn't forget. So on the um, track that I was listening to, it adopts the very first, the, the Billy Shears introduction. Yeah, that's that's technically stuck on the front of this rather than on the end of... Yeah. Uh, rather than the end of the Sergeant Pepper song. And that's all part and parcel of them recording this. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, George Martin adding sort of some organ stuff and you've got Paul adding a bit of timpani to link in the pieces oh, before yeah, they get into this. Oh, yeah. yeah, just on the just at the end of the Billy Shears bit. Yeah. And then you've basically got Paul banging away on the piano, George on his guitar and doing the lead overdubs. Mm. Ringo's obviously doing his drums and his vocals, uh, dubbing some snare and tambourines, I think. And John, I think, doesn't play guitar on this at all. Yeah. He was playing cowbell on the original sort of tracking mm. which you can barely detect in the song it is in there but you can barely detect it but i think he's uh some places credit john with being on guitar but i don't think he was playing on the guitar on this one okay so but obviously he's there in the back of vocals. Singing it, yeah okay oh and the yeah the other thing my production thing to mention mm. is that tom tom sound you, you said about some good tom work yeah i think that what they did there is they they recorded they didn't always do this with ringo but i think I don't think, anyway, someone will probably correct me. They took the bottom skin off the toms to get a really good ringing sound on the toms. So it's not as contained as when you leave the skins on both sides of the drum. You take the bottom bottom off, tune them to whatever you want, fairly loose in this case, Mm. and you get that nice, fairly unique tom sound on this. Yeah, I mean, it's almost bordering on timpani, actually, thinking about it, that part. It's it's almost a melodic tom part, isn't it? So, yeah, they've done some tuning and... It, it does ring out a bit. So, yeah. Yeah, it works very well. Um, yeah, we've got the the, um, the piano. Is it treated? Or is it just... Oh, everything will be treated on this. But it's... It's cause, it almost... <laughs> I was thinking you have the classic pepper piano sound, which, you know, it's hard to tell when you... I was trying to zone and kind of hone in on it, listening to it. Like, it's... If it's got... It's sounds kind of compressed or something. Uh, well, it, well, it'll have all sorts of stuff going on. It'll have the usual stuff that happens to anything you record, which mm. is usually compression and EQ. They may have put ADT on it or something like that, which they tended to. They sort um, of started yeah. doing all the over the tracking, place. The double track. Yeah, yeah. So the. Um, but yes, I haven't that information to hand. No, I'm sorry. Right. I'm very sorry. That's no, okay. I mean, I've already mentioned the bass sound. As I should say for people listening who don't necessarily, I know we have people sometimes tell us they don't necessarily know the technical bits when we talk technical. Um, but when I talk about his Rickenbacker and the bass and the muffled sound, there's a bass called Rickenbacker. Well, there's a bass company called the Rickenbacker who made a bass which has a muffle muffler on it, you know, a dampener. So you you can, you, it's a basically a, a, I don't know, a, what is it? Changes it changes the response of the strings yeah. under your fingers to make it almost sound more pizzicato. Yeah. It's, it's in a, a way, so you don't, it doesn't ring out as long. But the, the Rickenbacker can be quite a lyrical instrument as well because yeah. of the design of it it's quite easy to play quite a thin neck and that's when when you hear paul mccartney's classic bass sound which sounds like like the come together sound and this where everything's very like very round is the word that always comes up when you listen to this kind of stuff 
he's he's doing that with it and it's it's lovely um yeah but there, there's not much else going on it's that it's got that weird kind of facade of sergeant pepper where you feel like so much is happening and and, and actually at times you're listening and saying no it's just a piano and a guitar and drums bashing away for the majority with things coming in and out of it which leaves yeah, a load yeah. of space for the voices which you need because there's actually four there's properly four voices in this you know it's like this well actually i'm not sure for the majority that george actually is involved i think oh. it is just john and paul doing the um well, it feels like there's the, the speaky parts but is not it, speaky is one parts, of them you know, the questioning parts but are they doubling up there is it, are they doing three-part harmony i don't i think they might just be double tracked hmm. i think they've just tracked it but i don't think it's in block three-part blocks okay Either way, there's a nice lot of voices happening and Ringo's is in the mix as well, so... Yeah, well, a production note, of course, then, is that big last long note from Ringo. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. So they spend a long day doing this, set, doing all the backing track for this and getting it in place. Mm. And it's like something like quarter to six in the morning, half past five, quarter to six in the morning, and they're about to finish off because they were doing sessions that would last all night. Yeah. You know, and Ringo's like, I'm going home now. And they're like, no, have a go at singing it, Ringo. And he's like, oh, just what? What? And so they encourage him. And so they did it at the end of that first big session. Right. When he's completely zonked. And you wouldn't know where you were at that point, would you? You'd have been smoking and drinking tea and mm. um, perhaps having a scotch and coke to see you through while you're there. And But they get him to do it. And so they get that great performance by sensibly, I think, try to get him, catch him off guard before he had time, too much time to think about yeah. the, having to do this high note. So that's quite good. And he, 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 gets, he gets it. Just you can very catch that very split last second. It's starting to tail off to a squeak, mm-hmm. but he, he manages it. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's great. And um, added percussion and cymbals are doing some good stuff as well. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it 81 for production. On to the lyrics then. So it's a nice little song about your friends being there for you both when your love is away, and it seems when you don't have a love, and they're asking you about it in the middle of a song. So it does get a little mixed up in that sense, um, but it passes a kind of a casual listen, and um, yeah, because if you know what I mean, the first verse they're saying, uh, yeah, they kind of, it sounds like he's got someone, but they're away at first, and then it sounds like he's not got someone. Do you see, do you see what I mean? Yes, yeah. yeah. It's sort of it's a little sort of philosophical thing with yeah. some silly bits thrown in. Yeah, and. Um, getting by no matter what the situation um with a little help from your friends that refrain is something we can all relate to i hope and if not i'm sorry to hear that um uh, there's perhaps a, not the getting high bit no i get high with a little help from my friends yeah they were always at it weren't they yes certainly but um you know i like the joke about what do you see when you turn out the light i can't tell you but i know it's mine yeah i like that people trying to sort of make that into a more philosophical thing than it than it actually yeah, it is. Just means he's in his own room on his own. Yeah, and I think Paul McCartney has somewhere famously used the phrase. Uh, probably just does it mean he's just at home playing with his willy? <laughs> oh, I see. Oh well, if Paul McCartney said it, then, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's fun and it's now classic for the whole kind of you know the the question and answer type of lyrics. Um, they're not groundbreaking, but they they're, they're nice. So I'm going to give it 63 for lyrics. Mm-hmm. which gives it 74.7 overall next we, oh, hang on hey what well um, uh, the trousers 
What's that? What's that? That's the sound of Barry Wom. Barry Wom. Barrington Womble is here. It's the Ruttles. Yes. Mm. It's Rendezvous from the Archaeology album. Hang on. Who are you? We're the other members of the band. And who invited you to sing along? Go on, answer that. Well, no one. We were only passing by. Well, kindly keep on going if you please. But we're only trying to help you with your song. It's a great song, isn't it? It is. So I love <laughs> what I love about this is so they've made a song on the on the the Ruttles reunion album from the nineties. They've done this thing to give John Halsey, Barry Wom, uh, a featured piece, and so they've taken that notion of of with a little help from my friends with the back, like you say, the backing vocalist yeah. asking questions, and gone even further through <laughs> smashing the what, fourth wall of listening, if such a thing exists, to actually have the the yeah. lead vocalist suddenly like. Hang on, who are yous? <laughs> it's, just, it's great. It's it's a brilliant parody, and it's also actually there's the little middle eight sections in in Rendezvous mm. are really nice. The chords are really good. It gets a bit mysterious. Mm. Do you spend your time like me, wishing you f- that you could be free, free from all you have to do, doing only what you want to? It's a very enigmatic song, but it's so funny. It is, and it's definitely a bit darker and more psychedelic than the original actually isn't it it's yeah it's yeah. it's, it's um, a bit more wistful uh, especially as it descends into that meta argument with itself um, <laughs> which uh, I, I mean thank god the brutals existed so they could be the ones that did in a way the kind of idea of taking those vocals well I say in a way it's okay once you've heard it to say this isn't it it's almost a very obvious thing and you could almost imagine it as a two Ronnie's sketch but I'm glad it was the Ruttles who kind of got to the idea and did it um you know, the the parody of, of the, the back and vocals getting a bit big for the boots in the middle of a song. Um, yeah, it's very good. Very kind of dark and very funny. Dark but very funny. Yes. Very, very cool. I'd like to have an, uh, an honourable mention for something, though. Okay. Not not unrelated, but obviously Neil Innes of the Ruttles comes from the Bonzos, and I mentioned at the top yes. of the show about the Head Ballet episode. There's a live radio session with the Bonzos where they do a version of, with a little help from my friends, but it's, they do it in the format. So you know the gong show, which is that where you can't say yes or no to yeah. questions? I mean, oh. <laughs> so it's a sketch that basically, I'm going to do it now. It starts out as if it's um, with a little help from my friends. He goes... What did you say that your name was again? Uh, Derek, are you married? I am. <laughs> did you come here with your wife? I did not. Are you sad because you're on your own? Oh, I'm alone. Don't you have any friends? No. Gong. <laughs> and it's just that. Brilliant. It's just out of nowhere. Oh, so you have to great. I love the Bonzos. I love the Ruttles. I love the Beatles. It's great. Oh, yeah. oh good. We're in the right place. So, we'll get on with some more Beatles then. Um, mm-hmm. And next, we have Till There Was You. There were birds in the sky But I never saw them winging No, I never saw them at all Till there was you Then there was music And wonderful roses they tell me in sweet fragrant meadows of dawn and you. 
until there was you, Paul. Until there was me, Paul. There was. Yeah, I don't know if that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. Cover version. Very famous cover version, this one, really. I think quite a significant one, I feel, this is. It, it appears on With the Beatles, which comes out on 22nd November, 1963. Mm. Uh, they record it on the 18th of July, 63, but then they go and do a remake of it on the 30th of July. And it's about as simple as it can be. They just choose the correct instruments to do this cover version of a song that was written for a music well written by meredith wilson which ends up in a musical called the music man which is quite big Mm. Uh, there's a famous film version of it as well and there's lots of recordings of this song theirs is sort of inspired by peggy lee's version Mm. but it's in their set for a long time you know it's one that john would rip the mickey out of paul while he was singing it because it's paul doing his proper doe-eyed ballad voice oh yeah and so but despite Lennon taking taking the mickey out of him doing it, they kept it for a long time and it turns up at several really important points in their early career. Mm. You know, and it's it's a brilliant, brilliant cover version that they do. So different from something like Twist and Shout or Money or something like that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's quite symbolic, I think, because it's, it represents to a new, an audience new to them, which was everybody, yeah. that they can do this as well. You know, they can do oh, this sort of song. They absolutely. can sing in this sort of way. They can arrange stuff in this style. And that's why it keeps turning up in their audition set lists and at significant live moments and things like that. It's it's great. It is great. And it it's kind of fits those little um, seam of songs like World Without Love and this and a couple of others that in this kind of style, isn't there? And it's definitely, um, yeah, it, it, it's... It's a little corner of the Beatles world that it's, it's, it's very pleasant. And it's been a little while since we've had a cover, I think. Feels like ages. Yeah, I think it has been. Yeah, yeah and it's a lovely one to come up. Um, I, I've always loved this, and I always thought it shows how well they could pick them. Um, I would have totally, if I'd not known, I would have always thought it was theirs because, of you know, it does fit their sound in a way, even though it's not, it's quite different than a lot of things. It, you, you, you believe it is something that they would play and do, especially especially McCartney. It's another acoustic-led piece with some soft, more jazzy strumming and then the kind of Spanish guitar parts over the top that sound so good and are played so well. Is it George playing yeah, it? Yeah, it's George, and he, he nails it on this. Yeah. Absolutely. So George would work on his guitar, yeah. and he'd work on his guitar parts, he'd work on them and work on them. He, wasn't, he was never a super instinctual player. He was never going to be a blues rocker, as mm. we know. None of them really were. McCartney possibly the best out of all of them for that sort of thing. Mm. But for something like this, George gets it and it's just amazing he gets it right on the record and on some of those big performances where they do it as well he gets it perfectly and you just think this is great this is one of the things that makes me you know absolutely put the the, a marker down to say that george harrison is one of the best guitarists who ever lived you know it's it's brilliant it's 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 just flat out brilliant guitar playing that it's not that it's well i mean it is complex but it's it's the it's the the feel of it, you know. That's the thing that's so good. Um, I mean, apart from being technically spot on, it's just got so much feel. It's great. Um, but saying that, the mainstream guitar is great as well. Um, mm. It's a very lovely guitar song for guitar lovers. The bass is just keeping it going along with the bongos, which is the is it bongos? I'm saying it bongos. is bongos. It, yes, which are just right for this track. Um, like you say, perfect selection of instruments. 
Paul is melting hearts and minds with his vocal. So I'm going to give it 63 for music. Right. Right. So production, similar to Norwegian Wood, but not quite as elevated. I think this is another that captures those acoustics really, really nicely, especially the Spanish guitar. Um, I can hear the nylon, Paul. Yes, I, can, yes, I, I know can, what you mean. I can taste the nylon all the, and all Ugh. the fretty tapping sounds. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a different jobby, isn't it? A Spanish guitar compared to just a, a, a kind of steel string guitar. Or... Yes, yes, it is. You've got to do certain things in terms of, again, mic placement, EQing to give it, to, to, so you don't eliminate its sort of properties mm. and to make it distinct from a steel strung acoustic guitar. And they, they just, I've got basically nothing down in for production here other mm. than it's, it's just a, absolutely right for the way they choose to orchestrate this that the, the fact that yeah. they choose to do it all in the acoustics and if you want a good example of why this is great go back and listen to the version they did for the decor audition right which is an electric version yeah and it doesn't work as well it's yeah it's it's just it's not yeah. a patch on this recording yeah it's... it doesn't even feel like they've worked close to the correct arrangement they obviously have because yeah. they've been playing it but this they get to just get it right in the studio yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. I give it 65 for production. And as it's a cover, there's no lyric score. So it gets 42.7 overall. But this f- is madness. But fear not. We will cover the covers in their own sub-chart when this is all done. We will we, we, we have the, the, the covers chart, you know. Anyway. <laughs> Next. We have. I'll get you. Imagine I'm in love with you It's easy cause I know I've imagined I'm in love with you Many, many, many times before It's not like me to pretend But I'll get you, I'll get you in the end Yes I will, I'll get you in the end I'll get you Paul Oh, you no, know you won't, because I'm in Liverpool and you're in Stoke. And by the time you get here, I'll be long gone. You'll never find me. You'll just come and stay at Mums, won't you, or something? No, I'll just, I'll just drive upwards. <laughs> to Scotland. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll get you. Here. So, right. A B-side. Mm-hmm. B-side of She Loves You, which comes out on the 23rd of August, 1963. As we know, She Loves You gets into the charts and gets to number one for six weeks. It's up in the charts for 33 weeks. Mm-hmm. This turns up eventually on Past Masters 1, which is where more modern listeners would have heard it, probably. Mm. I didn't come to this for a very long time because mm. I didn't have She Loves You as a single. Um, recording on the 1st of July, 1963. It is an interesting one. Mm. It's, yeah, it's... Mm. It was in context... Well, right, a simple thing with this is it's, they write it in about something like two or three hours around at John's house, which right. is quite rare because Mimi didn't let them go there and make a load of noise. Okay. Even when they're, a rec- you know, a band recording stuff. They go and they, they write this two or three hours, um, but they're writing it with a view to it being the next single. Right. But then, then they write She Loves You and it's like, oh no, that's yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> definitely the next single. And when you compare She Loves You and I'll Get You, Apparently, loads of people love "I'll Get You" as an un- undiscovered gem. Mm. It's, it's got some—I think it's got some nice bits in it. Yeah, but it was not single material at all, and I think it would have been a massive 
sort of arresting in their development if that had been yeah. an A-side. We had another one like this not long ago, didn't we, where you said they were writing it as a single? Yeah, well, that's because they were they never knew what was coming up. Yeah, I up, guess they were always they? writing it as a single, especially at the, at the beginning. Yeah, and there's like, also that myth that they were, in the early days, they were sitting on hundreds of songs. They just, they just weren't. Yeah. So they were always writing, knowing we've got to come up with something. And yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely interesting things in this. Yeah, but it's, it's got... It's, bits, yeah. it, but there's, like I say, I don't think it would have moved them forwards. It's another one that has that sits in a seam of songs that I would include within it. Things like There's a Place and Yes It Is and maybe another couple, which I know you disagree with some of them. They are kind of, to mm. me, like almost but not quite. And that's fine. They're still good, but they're, they, they, they're not yet getting everything absolutely right all the way through. Like they, I can't believe you named There's a Place and Yes It Is. I mean, <laughs> oh, blimey. <laughs> Just, You'll definitely uh, get letters for that. <laughs> well, I, I already covered them, and um, you already disappointed once. But uh, no, and I keep sending you letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop it. Um, but then no, this is one that I've not spent much time with, um, and it, I guess it does put it at a disadvantage somewhat. As with those other ones I've just mentioned, because if they don't get me straight away, I think oh, that must might, might might be why I've not spent much time with it. However, trying to keep that in mind. Um, I do feel this one might have a good reason as to why it isn't remembered as much, even though it was the B-side to such a significant single. I mean, it only really gets going for the bit where they sing, I'll get you, I'll get you in the end. That bit's good, really good. Like, you know, that's the hook, I think. Um, and it even goes a bit louder in that part to kind of say, look, this is the hooky bit. Um, but it feels... Well, that's, th- that's the weird thing with this. I don't know that they know what the hook of this is because I think they're saying it, oh, yeah, yeah and I think they think not... that's the hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've put the harmonica back in to sort of go, well, the singles before had the harmonica. We've talked about this being a you know a feature where it's like, oh, that's the Beatles sound, a harmonica. But it's very basic but in this, the, isn't it? It's yeah, the harmonica in this annoys me. Yeah, it's, it's... Sorry, John. It's very basic and it's not going... It's not. There's not much else going it's on. It's there too much. Yeah, and it, there's not much going on beyond the basic chords... The vocals are kind of okay, but the melody up until it gets to the I'll get you, I'll get you in the end bit, which I think is the best bit, is a bit meandering, I think. it's This is like what my same argument with the other ones I mentioned. Yeah, I, f- I feel they meander a bit. They don't settle into the bit that I'm that, that makes me come away being able to hum it and remember it. Um, yeah, compared to the tightness of almost everything else they did. I mean, you've got to remember, this is these are the exceptions to to the general rule. It has the beginnings of a good song, but it's not quite realised or finished or something. So I can't find uh, score it very high, but I still find it charming and interesting to listen to. Even the ones where I score... I, I <laughs> nearly got that the wrong way around. Where I pour scorn. <laughs> I, nearly, <laughs> I nearly did ruttles on that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, where I pour scorn. It's because they are so, they're so rare. It's, it stands out so much when it's not... You think, gosh, so many of the other songs are basically perfect most of the time um as far as at least as far as the melodies and the chords go even if there's other bits these ones i feel like you know weren't quite there so 35 it's getting for music i'm afraid yeah even though it's got i mean paul mccartney th- thinks back fondly on this mm. one when he's asked about it you know um and he's he's keeps going on about how there's a lovely chord change a d to an a minor which was a sort of unusual thing that we didn't really used to do back then type thing mm. which was inspired by um a Joan Bias version of the spiritual All My Trials. Okay. Um, and in fact, McCartney did a live version of All My Trials. He used to play it live in, in his sort of, I think, 89, 90 tour. Mm. And he put a single out of All My Trials, mm. which went to number 35 in 1990, mm. which is odd. So obviously that, that 
song All My Trials, which he says has some influence on the chord changes in this one. Mm. It's something that's stuck in his head anyway. I like, you know, musically, I like the harmonies. Don't like the harmonica. Okay. Fair enough. Production. I don't think the production helps either. It seems no. buzzy for a large part of it. Like, you know, the scene in Helpless going, what's that? What's something buzzing? Are you Boys, buzzing? are you buzzing? There really no is something. The car. <laughs> there's something. There really is something buzzing in this. I think, I don't know if it's the actual, if it's the harmonica. There's something that sounds like. Well, I think also, because no. this only exists in mono, doesn't it? I'll get you. Uh, I can't, I can't, couldn't tell you. Take my word for it okay. and move on. Okay, well, it only exists in mono. So the intro, um, anyway, no, the intro sounds a bit of a, a mess with the bass coming in on the rundown as well. I think it starts a bit wrong. But it starts on, there's a kind of starts, it, it does that thing of like they're always trying to do at this point, obviously starting with the bit they think is the hook. But it, it, it doesn't sound right and it takes a while for the years to click into what's happening, I think. Um, and and like I say, when they get to the um, I'll get you in the end bit, there's a real noticeable surge it's either in energy or volume yeah, yeah. or both. And that's kind of, I like, kind of like that because they seem like they're going to push that bit, push that bit, boys. But um, other than that, and, you know, being a bit buzzy and a bit flat elsewhere, there's some bad doubling goes on in the middle. Yes, yeah, so that's my main, my main note is that you've got some of those classic where they don't quite match up there. Yeah. It's not even sounds like it's two a, parts. Hard, a hard part for them to get right. <laughs> but it does mean that you get the line, I'm going to mange your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does did have some strange repercussions. Um, I say I say the mid eight. I'm guessing it's the mid eight because the segments are all a bit this and then that and then that and then, that and then this. And um, I'm going to give it thirty three for production. I'm afraid. Yeah, sorry, Big George. Mm. It wasn't a good day. Yeah, no. this is one of the ones where there's sort of the missing master tape. So this only exists in the mono mix oh, format. Okay. Now, so that's what I was talking about mono before. I wasn't just gone bonkers. Right, good. So on to lyrics then. It's got a whiff of baby it's you about it, hasn't it, lyrically? Because there's a bit where he goes never, never, never in it. Yeah, they do a triple word thing, like many, many, many on one verse yeah. and never, never, never on the next. And it's, you know, it wouldn't be a big leap for to think, oh, well, they play baby it's you in their set at this point, I'm sure. And, you know, it has got a bit of that about it as well. They're trying to write something a bit like that, almost a bit like that. Um, but anyway... Um, it's some pretty basic words, let's face it. It's a pretty basic song with some basic words. The I'll Get You almost seems a little harsh when written down, but it doesn't come across as bad as that when you listen to it. You know, I'll get you no. in the end. It, it's actually, it's meant to be Do you know what's nice... funny? When you're looking up facts about this on yeah. Google and you type in, I'll get you, Beatles. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> it's just a threat <laughs> down the years. <laughs> I'll get you, Beatles, and your little dog too. I'm only going to give it 35 for lyrics. Well, just the, yeah, resign yourself to me is just a strange line, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's like, you'll give up eventually if I keep nagging at you. Get you, resign yourself to me. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing to mention really, you you have to mention here, it's, and whether it's got a true link or not. Of course, if you think of this as being John and Paul and perhaps John writing these lyrics primarily, Mm. imagine I'm in love with you. It's easy because I know, you know. But then imagine no possessions. It's easy if you try. Yeah, yeah. So it's got a. It's a funny little balancing of like perhaps that phraseology is stuck in his mind. Maybe John thought well of this song as well. 
in the way that McCartney does now, you know, so that it just hung around in his head a bit. You get stuck with certain words, don't you? When you, it, it, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's easy to, 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 it's easy if you try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So, 34.3 overall. Finally, P.S. I love you. As I write this letter, send my love to you. Remember that I'll always be in love with you. Treasure these few words till we're together. Keep all my love forever. P.S. I love you. Yes, I love you, Paul. That's not what I've been writing on those letters I've been sending you about <laughs> there's a place. No. And, uh, yeah. Right, okay. We're going way back to the beginning again mm. here. It's funny that this this has come out after I'll Get You as well in terms of uh, B-sides, although, of course, P.S. I Love You features on the album Please Please Me, mm. which comes out on 22nd of March, 63. But it's the B-side of Love Me Do, the first single, which obviously we know gets to number 17 in the charts. They do a version on the 6th of June with Pete on drums, 1962. And they do the remake on the 11th of September with Andy White. And so Ringo consigned to uh, Maracas on on that recording. Mm -hmm. And do you know what? I really love this song. I really love it. It's always been one of my favourites. Right. So there. It was written, uh, they wrote Love Me Do, then then they wrote this. It's uh, it's another one of these ones they'll have put forward in the early early days to be like, you know, this could be a single maybe, you know, sort of mm. thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I hope you've got a pen and paper ready for... More letters. <laughs> More letters, I'm afraid. I am writing this in my own blood. <laughs> At least it's not my blood. Um, Yet. Yeah, so it's another one I don't really know very well. Another one where I may seem to pour a little score on it but not as much as the last one. So that's an improvement. <laughs> this one's neater. It knows where it's going more, at least after the intro. The melody has a, a pleasing cadence, um, and the UUU bit is a stronger hook. Um, and when Paul gets going later in the song with his ad-libs, it picks up melody-wise even more. So it's got that yes. going for it. That's, why, that's one of my absolute favourite features. When Paul does those little sort of interrupty bits between you know where it feels like he sort of steps closer to the mic and and, yeah. and gives it some i think it's just brilliant yeah it's definitely got more to it um and the backing vocals that kind of half sing the words is a nice touch they kind of do a strange thing on the backing they kind of i yeah again i think that's the real feature of this is those those block those block vocals where they don't they don't do oohs and ahs or anything like that particularly. They they emphasise certain words in three-part harmony, mm. yeah. which is really interesting. It really, it, They pick them out, don't they? Yeah, an odd way to arrange the, the vocals, like but I think that's what words. gives it a uniqueness. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think the singing and the, the, the melody is nice. It kind of got a 50s rock and roll feel to it. But it's the, the thing that gets let, let it down for me, similar to the last one, is that it's... it's I think the... The, the the backbeat, the, the actual beat combo part of it is a bit flat, not massively inspired, not much going on. 
of anything. Yeah, well, I think that's a, another consequence of having, you know, them coming in and, and the producers saying, well, sorry, we don't want your drummer on it. We want this guy. Yeah. And he's just going to learn what he needs to learn. Yeah, that's... And I he does it perfectly well because yeah. they've basically gone... And he's either playing, like, just snare rim shots or wood blocks mm. on this. So it's not like he's got anything to do other than percussion, simple percussion on this um, Andy White. But there's not much of anything else either, is there? There's not. There's no guitar. No, it's a vocal piece. Yeah, this, is a vocal a, piece. this is a vocal group thing, right? And but like I say, with I'll get you. I think much as I love it, and I really do love mm. PSI, love you. I think you're right. It's more like if they'd have put this out, perhaps as a, a single, it feels like it's looking back rather than looking forward. Mm. Whereas Love Me Do is weird and makes them unique and yeah makes them stand out this would have just been like oh that's a really nice song in the style of yeah. five years ago yeah six yeah, years that's ago that's it that's it they, they, it's more of them doing their contemporaries kind of sound run than, than their own yeah or their influences sound yeah their influences sound sorry even yeah so um it, it reminds me of a keyboard on rock and roll shuffle one finger chord setting the kind of backing they're just they're doing it but it's not nothing's changing as it goes from one bit to another you know you just set it off going and they're singing over it but yeah it's a vocal one the strength of this is definitely the melody by far which is strong with this one so I'm going to give it 39 for music I can hear the sound of scribbling mm. um, production then so it's another one with a funny start it's it's weird to start like that when it's not as strong a hook as something like She Loves You I think both of them suffer from maybe them trying to do the same model of recording but for something not as strong Um you can see why they're doing it there, why they're trying that. Yeah, it kind of rattles along okay production-wise, but not much to comment on. No, this is, well, this is interesting because, of course, this is produced by Ron Richards, not George Martin. Of course, that's, yes, yes, that's that must be a rarity in there. Yeah, so there's, there's in the early days, where we don't, they don't really know what they've got on their hands with the Beatles. Yeah. There's going to be, there's sessions where rehearsal sessions in the studio are run by someone other than George Martin, or George mm. would seed. Uh, responsibility to, to a, a, another person in the studio, an engineer, producer, and that'd be Ron Richards in this case. Yeah. So this is this is produced by Ron Richards. It does a perfectly adequate job for the material. Yeah. And obviously they're playing this entirely live. There's no overdubs right. on this at all, which again, testament to their brilliant vocal abilities early in their career. Oh, yeah. But, you know, again, I, like I said before, this could have been recorded five years before, six years before, yeah. seven years before, by someone in, in a little studio in America. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's got that sound about it. it uh, it's fine. I'm, I've given it 43 for production. Right Um So lyrics. I like the lyrics more to this one. Uh, the little PS I love you idea after the couplet about the letter is nice. So there's a little, little couplet and then he gets to do the, P.S. I love you bit. Um, it's not, it's kind of basically, that's it. And then it repeats that with very little variation yeah. about four times. And I, I, am I right in thinking, because when I was looking up the song, um, there has already been songs called P.S. I love you before this as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a quite an obvious yeah. thing to pick on. Um, so, yeah. And some people sort of said, yeah, well, perhaps they knew of those earlier songs and it's, you know, Mm. And they might have done, but I think it's just an exercise in writing a song that is a letter yeah. format. And some people have said, well, obviously it's talking about it's Paul talking about writing a letter to his girlfriend Dot at the time mm. when he's away. But he's since basically said, no, no, it's just an exercise in seeing if I could write it like yeah. as if it was in a letter format. So yeah, 
There's yeah. not much to say about no, it, really. He, he does, Once you, if you take that at face value, he takes and he, he, it's a very little exercise, and he, he kind of does it a little bit, and that's it. Um, so I'm going to give it 36 for lyrics, which gives it 39.3 overall. So that's us done for another week, and we have no top tenors this week. So this is where everything has landed. I'll get you is 166th, joint with Money and Kansas City. Which don't even score for lyrics. So, um, <laughs> P.S. I love you is 158th. Till there was you is 147th. Uh, joint with yes, it is. With a little help from my friends is 51st. And our top scorer this week is Norwegian Wood at number 25. So we'll have a little reminder of the top 10. At number 10, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. At number 9, let it be. At number 8, Eleanor Rigby. Within You Without You is number 7. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds at number 6. Penny Lane at number 5. In My Life is number 4. I Am the Warrus at number 3. Strawberry Fields Forever at number 2. And at number 1, A Day in the Life. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you next week. Hmm. Goodbye. I'll get you, Beatles!